Church experience online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you the opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. We're talking about building a better you. And last week we talked about overcoming the mind battles that we all have. This week we're going to talk about training in godliness. Training in godliness. Let's get going. Let's jump into 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Here's what God's word says. It says, rather train yourself to be godly. Everybody say train. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is a savior of all people, especially those who believe. Train yourself to be godly. You can see there on the top of your teaching notes, training in godliness is where we're headed. And you know, you don't have to train if what you are naturally is enough. You know, you, you might have a great physique when it comes to athletics, and you might say, well, I don't have to train because I already am enough. I already have the height or the, the body mass or the build or whatever to compete in that specific sport, so I don't need to train that much. But you would be mistaken to think that you could be at your peak without training, because even Olympic athletes that might have the right build for a certain sport would tell you that even though they naturally have an aptitude for that sport, they had to train before they walked into that Olympic stadium. They had to train for a year to be at their peak because even though they had a natural ability, training is what made them, uh, gave them the potential to reach their, the, where they could go. And for you and I spiritually, we have to train if we want to be the kind of follower of Jesus that, that we're called to be in scripture. It's not going to happen by accident. And I think a lot of Christians are imagining that our spirituality just kind of happens over time, that it just kind of develops. And we're not told that in scripture. Verse 10 of, of chapter uh, 4, it says, 
that uh, that is why we labor and strive. Okay, that's why we labor. It talks about laboring, working, striving. So there's there's a work to our faith. Work out your your salvation with fear and trembling. It says in, in the Bible. So there's there's a work that has to be put into our faith journey, and I think that a lot of believers kind of assume that, you know, God's love and it's about relationships and I just kind of exist. And then, and then somehow over time, magically this utopia happens inside me. I'm a great person with great character and, you know, I have a great marriage and a great family and a great life. And it's, it just kind of happens because you know, I love Jesus and he loves me. And so we're good. And, and, and that's not what it's telling us. It's, it says that we labor. It says train. It says, you know, we work, you know, it's, it's, it's speaking to our effort related to our, our uh, character and our, and our faith. Now, it tells us that this kind of, of training is of greater value than physical training. So I think a lot of times we get confused because uh, physical training is of some value. Let's speak more broadly. This is making a comparison to physical training, actually training your body compared to spiritual training. But it's talking about the physical training. It's saying it has some value. And I think there is value in, in the things of the world. There, there is some value in some of the things that we need to do. What I mean by that is like your career has value because it puts money in your pocket so you can put food on your table so you can feed your family. That's That has some value. That's a good thing. Um, your hobbies, they might have some value for you if they're in the appropriate context because it refreshes you and allows recreates you. If you, you like to go fishing or you like to travel or something like this, it's, that's a good part of your life. It has some value, right? And, and on and on I could go. Some of the things that are a part of our physical existence have some value. And so training in those things has some value too. You know, our bodies, they're not going to last forever, but this contains who we are for now. And so it has some value to take care of your body, to eat healthy, to exercise, whatever. Why? Because then you'll have more energy to bring and you'll be healthier. You might live longer so you can serve God longer, all that. So it's got some value. And that's what it's saying here. There's some value in that. But it tells us there in verse 10, it goes on and it says, uh, or excuse me, up in verse 8, it says, It has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So what it's saying is that there's greater value in training myself spiritually than, than all the training or um, growing or accomplishing that happens in this world. The greater value is in my spiritual training. And I think that Christians sometimes get our values mixed up, and we think that, I'm supposed to be training for a successful life instead of um, in godliness. And there's a big distinction there. But what I think is that we tend to train for success in this life with the goal of having great morals, a great attitude, and uh, accomplishing a lot and then giving God credit in the end when we've conquered and been successful in this life. I, I think that's kind of what a lot of us by default do unintentionally. And that's not what it tells us in scripture. It says train yourself to be godly, not train yourself to be successful in this life. There's a more important training. Now training, when it speaks about training and godliness, again, don't assume that this inner utopia is just going to happen by default. It's telling us that we have to train for it. When's the last time you trained for something? You probably had to train something. Maybe someone was telling me about how they're doing some training at work right now and all the things they're having to learn. It's like overwhelming. Maybe you train uh, physically to get in shape or for a sport or something. I, that's why I think of uh, one of my first training experiences back in high school. I wanted to play on the varsity basketball team and they said, well, you for tryouts, you got to show up at 545 in the morning before school and we're going to run you for a couple hours and then after school, you're going to have a couple more hours and we're going to do this for two weeks. And, and it was it was grueling, 
It was grueling. Training's hard. I remember they had these line runs that my friends would call suicides. <laughs> and what you would do is you'd stand on the baseline of the basketball court, and you would you would continuously run back and forth until you're exhausted. So you would run to the free throw line, touch it, run back to the baseline, and then without stopping, run to the volleyball line, which is beyond the free throw line, touch that, come back, touch the baseline, then go to the half court line, touch that, come back, then go on the other side of the court and touch the volleyball line and run back, and then go touch the free throw line on the other side of the court and run back, and then go touch the baseline on the other side of the court and run back, and then when you're done, do it all over again. <laughs> and I think we ran hundreds of these line runs in the two weeks that we had tried. And we just run back and forth, back and forth. We're training. We're exhausted. We're sweaty. We're smelly. One of my friends, Charlie, he's a great guy, great smile, fun guy. He's a neat guy on the team. And, and Charlie, uh, we called him Chuck. Chuck one time, he's a bigger guy, basketball player. He's running back and forth. They're just like, run, run, run. And he's sweaty. He's tired, exhausted. Does the line run, runs out to it, runs back to the baseline where we would stop and turn around. But instead of stopping and turning around, he just kept running right out the glass doors of the big Dutch dome that we played in. <laughs> He ran right outside. We could see him outside, and he just bends over, and he just starts puking Ugh, all over the place. That day, Chuck became up Chuck, <laughs> you know, at least for the day. But, man, it was hard. It was exhausting. It, it just it wore us out. And, and, and training, the reason why they were pushing, it, pushing us so hard is because, one, they wanted to sort out people who just thought it would be fun to play basketball and weren't committed to it. But two, they knew that we would face some challenges throughout that year. There would be times when we'd be in the fourth quarter down by five and we could give up or we could push through. And if we were going to win, we were going to have to not give up. And see, the Lord knows when he says train yourself to be godly that you're going to face trials. He knows that you're going to face temptations. There's going to be times where you want to give up on that whatever it is that you're in or that relationship. or what. And he knows that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be weights you're going to carry. There's going to be burdens you have. And if you don't train yourself to be godly, then you won't be godly. <laughs> You'll be very ungodly by default in many of those situations. And so when he tells us to train to be godly, that's for our long-term benefit. A lot of Christians don't have an inner utopia because they're not training for it. They don't have great character. They don't have, great, they don't have a great marriage, a great relationship. They don't, have, they don't have great faith. They don't really know God's word and love it. They don't really walk closely with God. They're just kind of Christian by name only and not really live in it because they don't train for it. They don't train for it. So there's work. It says strive, labor. Now, let me address a couple things before we can talk more about training. Because you're probably on one of two sides uh, today when it comes to your response to this. One is you're going to start to think that, and maybe you do, maybe this is how you live your, your life. You're going to think that your faith is all about your work. Your salvation, meaning being saved from your sins, walking with God, going to heaven today. This is about, okay, so I work, I train, I strive, I become a better Christian. The better Christian I am, the closer I am to God, the more he loves me, the, the bigger property I got in heaven one day. Right? I mean, whatever. I mean, it's got all these, these false thoughts in here. It's like the more I do, the better my life. You know, and listen. Your, uh, your tendency is not based on scripture. If, you, if your, your tendency is to like, hey, I'm going to uh, work towards my relationship with God. But there's another equally unbiblical tendency that all of us have. And I think all of us are going to fall on one side or the other. And yours is to say, well, so Brandon, you're saying it's not biblical to like 
work for my salvation. Like my salvation's not on my work. No, it's not. It's on Jesus' work. And you're saying, oh, well, then, man, that's, that takes all the pressure off. So it's, it's not really my going to heaven doesn't have anything to do with what I do. No, it's all what Jesus has done. Well, man, great then. So I just come to worship every once in a while, throw a few prayers up, and I'm going to go back to just working on being successful and living a good life and living my dreams. And, and, and so I think that that tendency is equally unbiblical because it's like, well, I don't have any work to do. And so how do we reconcile those? Where's those middle ground? Which one would you fall naturally more toward? You should probably be aware of that as we talk about this, as we have this conversation. Where, where do you fall? Do you fall more like it's all about my work? My, my, my relationship with God is what I do, and it's all about what I do. Or is it more like it's all about what God is doing, so I don't really have any work to do. I just kind of like do whatever I want. Like I don't, there's no work. Like where, where, do you, where do you think you fall? What about the person that you live with or that you're married to or that you hang out with a lot, your friends? Where, where do you think you are? Just be aware of that as we talk about this. But this, this focus today here in verse 7, it says train yourself, and that's the first lesson in your teaching notes, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. So we're going to talk about training, but I, I need to clear up these other two things before we can talk more about that. And I want to do that by looking at Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. For those of you who might, maybe without realizing it, your default of your faith is all about your works and what you do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. The Lord, the Lord says this. It says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift. Everybody say gift. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's a gift that we receive from God. So yes, we're supposed to train to be, God, to be godly, to be more like God, but our salvation, being saved from our sins, the assurance of heaven, the companionship and friendship of God, being adopted into his family, all of that is not based on your work, it's based on God's work. See, God never meant for your salvation to be by your own work because if it was, then it would be very performance-oriented. And, and then how do I ever know if I'm performing enough? Because sometimes there's, there's a girl or a guy who's further ahead of me, and I think, well, man, I, I don't know if I'm enough. What if, what if I'm not enough? What if they're going to heaven and I'm not because they, they seem to be further ahead of me? And then what happens is you start to be very judgmental, and there's all this judgment of like, well, who's, who's further along, who's better, who's closer to God. And, and people walk in the room and we kind of assess them where they're at based on how they're living their life or how they look or whatever. And then we, there's this judgmental hypocrisy stuff that happens. That's religion. Religion is like, you know, if you study the religions of the world, it's, it's, it's all of them are in some way, the actions I take, the things I do is what gets me my standing with this higher power or this assurance of the afterlife or whatever. It's all based on what I do. The reason why we say that Christianity is not fundamentally a religion, it gets put in that category, that's fine, but it's not fundamentally a religion, meaning things I do to earn my standing with God, is because it's primarily about what Jesus has done so that I can be in relationship with God. Not religion, not all these things I do and rituals I keep so that I can be right with God. It's what Jesus has done for me. And believers, I think it's just good for us to have this conversation every once in a while, because I've known this my whole life, but I forget this. And I can get sucked into that, it's all about my works. And maybe I'd lean more in that way and think, well, man, it's, I, I need to kind of keep working for God. I need to keep doing things. And without realizing it, we can be trying to get God's attention by all of our work. We could be trying to get his affection with all of our work. See, it's, it's not about us performing well, because if it was, it, you would be motivated by fear. Well, if I'm not performing enough, then maybe God won't accept me. And 
your relationship with God would be based on fear, not love. You never know when you're doing enough. See, it's, it says here that it's a gift, the gift of God. You just said that a minute ago. It's, it's the gift of God. Gifts, think about it. It's, you know, we're going into this Christmas season. And there's going to be some like giving and exchanging of gifts, which by the way, I think it's so cool that you guys, so many of you took the ornaments last week. I don't even know if we have any left after the first service, but we had just a few left over from last week. But a lot of you guys took these ornaments that represent gifts that we're giving to these 20 plus kids at Shepherd's Village Single Moms Home. And we're going to bless them with a Christmas dinner, all of them and their moms, and we're going to give all the kids gifts. And you guys are making that possible for getting those those uh, gifts for the kids. So thank you. That's so cool. But when you, when you give a gift, it's because you love someone. You want them to know that they matter. You want them to know that, they, that you care about them, right? And so when you give something, the, the receiver is not earning it. They're not buying it. It's, 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 it's only received. It's, they, they take it and they receive it. It's not something they earn. And, and just to clear up our salvation and how that comes, John chapter 1, verse 12, I think it's just so helpful to see this. It says, uh, yet to all who did receive him, there it is again. So our, our faith is, is we receive it. We don't earn it. It doesn't say you earn it. It's those who receive it. To those who believed in his name, he gave, there it is again, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we're given the right. It's a gift we're given. We're adopted into the family of God. So you become a son or daughter of a king. Think about this. I mean, we, we, we get lost in all that. We forget this. Like you have the inheritance of a king in paradise forevermore. I mean, that's, that's your right as a child of the king. You're, you're adopted into his family. He watches over you. The king, the father watches over you. He's with you. He's not interested in you just when you perform well or when you get things right, when you, when you make all the right decisions, when you overcome temptation. No, he's interested in you even when you fall in the pit. He loves you even when you like fall and you fail. He reaches down and says, hey, this is my beloved. I love, this is my child. I love them. You have the attention, the affection of your father. He cares about you. My, my kids have done this at different times, but it just happened again recently. I was talking to somebody after our, our third service in the evening, the sixth, and I was just, we we're having a conversation and I was holding my five-year-old daughter. And it was kind of afterwards, everybody's lingering around and, and, and she's just in my arms. And she, she took her little five-year-old hands as I'm in this conversation because she'd been trying to get my attention. She couldn't get my attention. She put her hands on my face. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm still talking. And she literally physically turned my head so that I was facing her. And I was in this conversation. And she's like, no, you're going to have a conversation with me, Dad. You're going to look right at me. She's like, literally, two hands, one on either side. And, you know, some of us are desperately trying to get the attention of our father. And we, we may have never realized it or identified it, but we're, we're trying to perform in our careers or we're trying to, you know, get success in the world's eyes or we're trying to get the attention of our friends or some of you are, are maybe single and you're trying to find that right person because you want some attention. And, 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 and underneath all of that, and some of those things might be fine, but underneath it, there's this, this ache inside of you. Like, I, and, and maybe it does stem from a childhood, a lack of, you know, a, a father who really loved you or a mother who cared for you or this kind of thing. A lot of, a lot of reasons for it, but I think underneath it's a spirit spiritual reason. And the real reason is that God created us with that ache for the, the affection of our father. And here's the cool thing. You have it. He loves you. He cares about you. You know, I drove past a school, uh, an elementary school close to my house uh, just in the last couple of weeks. And they had one of these metal fences up and they put the styrofoam cups. Have you ever seen this? They put the styrofoam cups in the fence to make a, a message. And it just said, why? Oh, you matter. You matter. 
And, and I drove by and I thought, well, that's cool. I, I agree with that. In fact, I wear that around my wrist. Everyone matters. Because I believe that as a follower of Jesus, everyone should matter to me because everyone matters to God. And I just want to be reminded of that. And so I, I, I saw that and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Even from a public institution, they've recognized the need. They've recognized the truth, God's truth. It's like a universal truth that they've identified. And maybe they recognize it because they saw kids coming into their school. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the kids were coming in and they've been neglected all week and their parents put them in front of a screen. And that's just kind of like the attention that they got. And the kids weren't getting love. They weren't getting attention. They didn't feel like they mattered. Maybe they came in from abusive homes or backgrounds or maybe just peer pressure and just the challenges of being in that age of life. I don't know. But they came in and they said, well, we need to tell these kids something. We need to tell them they matter because they don't seem like they feel like they matter. But they put it up on the fence. I mean, even from a public institution, they've, they've recognized a divine truth that, that God says, hey, people matter to me, and they, they've identified that. And I think that's because there's this universal need inside of us to know that we matter. And some people have not identified this. And so what they're doing is they're living for the affection and the attention of others. Ultimately, really, what they will really find rest in is the attention and the affection of their Father in heaven, and they've never found that. They've never identified that. And some of us, if we're not careful in this room, you might start living for the attention and the affection of God when you've already got it. And here it is in your teaching notes. I have my father's attention and affection. Like you have it. He loves you. His eyes are on you. You matter to him. And you need to know that. Because when we talk about training, when we talk about working, you don't have to work to get his attention. You have to do everything right for God to have his eyes on you. He's got his eyes on you. Even when you're screwing it all up, he's still watching you. And he still cares about you. That's such a powerful truth that you can rest in, that God, his, his eyes are on you. There's, there's peace in this. You receive it. It's a gift. You receive God's love. He's got great love for you. You know, it's too good to earn. You can't earn it. But, but aren't we always in the world trying to earn other people's affection and attention? The other day, uh, my boys had um, a neighborhood kid come over to play some basketball in our driveway, and they got this adjustable rim that was like sitting at seven feet, and they wanted to play knockout. They needed another guy, so I got invited in, my two sons and the neighborhood boy, and so the four of us are playing knockout, but it's on a seven-foot rim, and I'm, I'm pretty close to six foot, so like it's not that big of a deal for me to shoot on that size hoop and even to dunk it on that size hoop, so I thought, you know, I'd pull out some old basketball moves, have some fun, so I'm doing like, you know, LeBron-style, throwing it off the backboard, slamming it, you know, I'm putting it through the legs, three, six, I'm doing everything, which is not really that impressive because it's only seven foot tall, right? It's not, it's not that big of a deal. But I totally was trying to impress my kid's neighborhood friend because I thought if I can impress them, then I'm going to impress my boys because I'll have impressed their friends. So I'm totally trying to impress him and show off, do all these cool things. And it was working. Like I'm slamming. And at one point, the neighborhood kid's like, wow. And again, it's not that great. It's a seven foot hoop. Like anybody can, it's not that big of a deal. But he was like, he's a little, little guy. He's like, wow. And I was like, that's what I was going for. You know, I just kind of knew that inside. That's what I was trying to do. And I had fun. I went inside in the kitchen and I told Jennifer, I'm like, man, my wrist hurts. I still have a mark there. And she goes, she goes, why is it hurt? I was like, I was, I was dunking it outside, you know, and I think this is the first time I realized what I had been trying to do, you know, like impress the kids. And I was like, well, I was, you know, I was kind of showing off a little bit. And she, she looked at me like only a wife of 16 years can do. And like, she was so kind to not say this, but I could see it in her eyes and her body language or facial expression. But she just looked at me in that moment where I realized what I've been doing and she realized what I've been doing. And she's like, 
really? Like that, that was the look I got, like trying to press some little kids in the neighborhood. Do, do you need more love, Brandon? Do you want me to tell you that you matter more, that, that I care about you, that, you know, I mean, do, do, you, do you need some more love? Like showing up for neighborhood kids. That's, that's the level you sung to. Okay. Just, we've established that. But, you know, I think some of us without realizing it, we're doing that. I mean, you might be doing that. Maybe you did that this last week without realizing it. You know, you're, you're striving to get ahead, striving to be more, striving to do more. Why? Because you want to know that you matter. You want to know that you're cared for. And listen, here's the great news. You are. You matter. You're cared for. You're, God has his eyes on you. So this is not about working to get God's attention. But nevertheless, that inner utopia you want, it won't happen by accident. You are loved, but just because you're loved, that's not going that's not, that's not to do the work for you. It still says, even though you're loved, even though it's not about your work, we're told to work. Train yourself to be godly. Strive. Labor. Work it out. These are words that scripture uses when it talks about our faith. And so many Christians are struggling spiritually. Even though we're headed to victory, we know we know how the story ends. We know that we end in victory. Even if this whole world's a struggle, in the end, like it's going to be victory for us. But even though that's true, many, if not most Christians, are walking around defeated. Got their heads hanging low, discouraged, beaten up by the world, like down, as if they are a defeated foe. And they're not. They're victorious. But they're walking around defeated. Why? Because they haven't trained. And it, and it discourages me when I see this because I'm like, come on, man, we're, we're going to win this. So, so don't walk around like you're defeated. I know you're going through something, but, but train yourself to be godly so that, like it says in James, you can have joy even in trials. Why can you have joy even in trials? Because in, in, even in a trial, trials might even be one of the best things for your spiritual life. Sacrifices when you give up something that you could have had might be one of the best things for you because in that moment, you have nothing other than, I mean, there's nothing to put joy in in this world. When, when you've lost it all, when it's been hard, when it's not been easy, when you're going through suffering, that might be one of the best things for your spiritual life because it's in that moment, you say, there's nothing I can have joy in in this world and all your joy, the only joy you have is attached only through Jesus. And it's in that moment that you realize, man, he's everything. He's the only thing. That's what really matters. And so train yourself so that when you face temptations, when you face trials, you don't have to walk around defeated or be defeated by them. You can walk in victory, walk in joy, walk in peace in those times. Verse seven, train yourself to be godly. So have you been trying to, have you been trying to earn and work your way toward salvation? Have you been maybe on the other side missing it, thinking, well, I don't have to train. Do I have to just kind of, it's just gonna happen naturally? I don't know where you're at, but let's look back at scripture and see what more God has to say about this in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, that is why we labor and strive because, because, see, here's our why. This is our why. Why, why would we work? Why, why do we strive? Why do we do all these things? Here's our why. That word because indicates this is, this is our why. It says, verse 10, because... We labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. So because we have hope in Jesus, we have salvation through him, because we have Christ, listen, because we have Jesus in our life, we have hope. And because we have hope, that's why we work. So I don't work to reimburse God. I'm not, I'm not working. To, I mean, how lame would it be at, at Christmas, like at a gift exchange? Someone gives you a gift, 
And you say, well, thank you so much. Here's a gift I got for you to reimburse you for the expense that you had when you bought me that gift. Wouldn't it sour the whole thing? It would just ruin it. It would. It would make it a transaction. It's like, well, you spent money on me, so I'm going to spend money on you. That's the only reason I really did it. I didn't want to feel bad and guilty about it, so I did something for you. But many of us are approaching our, our relationship with God this way. When we talk about training ourselves spiritually, it's like, well, I, I, need to, I must need to reimburse God. I must need to pay him back. And some of you have this mentality, maybe from your upbringing or some kind of uh, religious training you had in your background or something, or you're thinking, it's like, I have to work to serve God because, because of, he expects that of me because of what he's done for me. He, so he already worked for me, so I got to work for him. I got to pay him back. And instead, what I see here is that our why is because of our hope in Christ, because the gift he's given. So I labor and serve the Lord. My why is in response. It's in response to him because of what he's done. Because I have the attention of God and because I have the affection of God in my life, I want to work for God. I want to please him. I want to give my very best at everything I do because of the fact that he's given his very best for me. I want to worship and praise him because he's so worthy of my worship because of his love, because of who he is. I want to prioritize the things that matter to God and I want what he wants because of who he is and because he's prioritized me. See, I want more of his presence because he's given me his presence. I'm hungry for him. See, I want to give back God a gift in response to what he's done in my life. In your notes, my why is a response, not a reimbursement. Are you trying to reimburse God? That's not going to work. You can never pay God back anyway for all that he's given. He's given too much. He's given everything. But he wants you to give back everything you've got in response. God, my whole life is yours in response to what you've done. So in response to his love, I strive. This is why we can say things like, you know, I want to, not I have to. It's not, it's not a, I got to. That's a religious, I've got to do this. It's I get to. I want to. I want to discipline my mind and body. I get to saturate my life in God's word and his presence. I want to immerse myself in his church. I get to serve wholeheartedly in my giftedness. I want to fight and take ground in my mind spiritually. I get to strive to build an inner utopia. Like, I want that. I get to do that. Not I have to. Not I got to do that. No, I, I, I get to. I want to. So I work. There is work in it. To, if you want to build a better you, a utopia, if you want that, listen, I'm just telling you, this is so helpful. Like, you're going to have to work for it. But you don't got to work for it to get God's attention. He's already got it. So you do it because you're responding to what he's done for you. All right, let's go back to verse 8. 1 Timothy 4, 8, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So even though I live for the spiritual, we're in a very practical world. And I can already hear what some of you are saying at this point. I, I know some of you are saying, well, Brandon, okay, I get it. So the spiritual should be most important in my life. It has greater value. Uh, train yourself to be godly. It's got greater value than the physical things in this world. So I need to train to be godly. And if I want to have a better utopia, I got, I got to work for that. That's more important than things of this world. Okay. I would expect you, Brandon, to say that. You're a pastor. <laughs> We're in church. So I would expect you to, you know, make that a priority. But then the other six days, Brandon, I, I can hear you saying that. Like the other six days, I live in a very practical world. 
Like, I got to have a job so I can put money on the table, so I can put food on the table. Like, I, I got I to gotta have, you know, hobbies and fun things to do that refresh me. We're all going to get burned out. So I, it's fun to do these things. And I, I got to, on and on the list goes. I live in a very practical world. So spiritual good, check. I'm here on worship. I'm doing that. I'm giving God this day of the week. But then the other days of the week, I live in a really practical world. And we've kind of segmented things. And I guess for you, what may be most helpful, I, I gave some thought to it this week, trying to think, how can I explain this? And, and I guess the best way I can explain it would be by pulling out your phone. So if you want to, you want to pull out your phone. Just think about your phone for a moment. Smartphones have changed our lives, haven't they, in our this last generation? And, and there's so many different apps. I mean, on my phone, I got quite a few apps that I use regularly that really help make my life, I think, better. I don't know. I think it's better because of all these apps. Uh, it's interesting, though. Some people you use just a few of them, and they have their go-tos. And then some people use apps a ton. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be interesting if, like, the apps that you use on a daily basis was like a little bubble above, you know, like the little message bubble, like when you have a new message, wouldn't it be interesting? It's like, okay, that person, wow, they only use like four or five apps. Okay. They're like, they kind of slimmed it down. Well, that person, they're an appaholic. Like, look at that, like 30 apps a day. I mean, they're just all about, like, I don't know, but I have a lot of different apps that do different things and there's different parts of my life. Some of them might, might you might have like a banking and finance app. You, you, you might have like a, a fun app, you know, it might be like a, uh, a travel app on your phone. There might be a productivity app app that helps you in your work. There might be a calendar app. You probably have some messaging apps to help you relate to people. You got all these different aspects of your week represented by these different apps on your phone, different things you do, or you're interested in news you follow, or sports that you're interested in, whatever. There's so many distractions. I mean, things on your phone that you utilize during the week. And these these different apps, some of us are like, well, man, I, I, I have the God app. I have version. I have, I have the Bible app. Which, by the way, if you don't have version, it's the best like app out there. I highly recommend it. It's a great Bible app. It's got reading plans. Get it. But some of you are like, well, I have that. I got, I got the Bible app, but I also have, Brandon, I need to have all these other things in my life. And, and what, what we tend to do is we think, well, I have like the God part of my life, and then I have all these other parts. And the way I'm understanding it more these days is that it's not that God's just like one little part of my life. I have my spiritual life, and then I have all these other practical things. It's more like God is the operating system behind it all. And maybe even better an illustration than that would be, you know, the, the, the image behind all your apps. Sometimes I've had a, like a family picture on there, that kind of thing. Something I had the last few months, it just says, first love above every other love. So that's in my lock screen. That's behind all my apps. Like that just says, first love above every other love. That's one of our passions here. First love, God's first. And I want to be reminded of that. And maybe that's a helpful analogy, that, that that image that's behind all of it, it's over all of it, it's in the background, it's running all the time. That's, that's what God desires to be in your life, not just a segmented part of your life that you leave on a Sunday or even, you know, on the morning, you know, coffee table or the nightstand at night, like you have your little time with God. He doesn't want to remain in that. He wants to be all throughout your life. He wants to be in your work, in your hobbies, in your relationships. He wants to be first over all these things. And he says, if you want that to happen, you're going to have to train for it. Train yourself to be godly. You're going to have to work for that. That's not going to happen by default. If you want God to be first, you're going to have to train for it. But listen, as you do, here's the beautiful, mind-blowing thing. It's in your teaching notes. The closer I am to Jesus, the closer I am to everything I really desire. The closer I am to Jesus, the closer I am to everything I really desire. We think that, man, there's a part of me that desires God, and then there's a part of me that desires all these other things, and so I'm going to fulfill this part of my life in God, and then I'm going to go fulfill myself in all these other things. Like, listen, God is what you really want in every area of your life, and if you will put him first, if you'll prioritize him and seek him out, you will find that in every area of your life, you're closer to who you want to be. You're closer to that inner utopia. When you put him first, when you seek him one day at a time, one step 
step at a time, you'll find what you're looking for in Christ. Let me close this way. I have a friend uh, named Paul who uh, served in ministry with me for a couple years, and we're good friends, and, and he's a mountaineer kind of guy. He, he likes to hike mountains, and uh, he invited me to go with him one time to hike Cloud Peak, which is in the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming. It's a 13,000-foot mountain. It's a mountain that you would hike if you were preparing and training for Mount Everest. It's on the list. Like, it's, it's an intense hike. And he said, Brandon, would you come hike with me? And so I, I said, like, yeah, let's do it. And so when we went out to hike, it was intense. So you had to get all this different gear that we were wearing. We hiked through the night, through snow, over boulders. Like it was an intense hike up this 13,000 foot mountain. Great experience. I got this quote from Paul that reminds me. And, and by the way, before I read this quote, um, this, I'm always trying to remind you guys of the importance of being in Christian community. And I couldn't think of a better illustration than as we're talking about this mountaineering idea. Don't climb alone. Don't climb alone. You need to be in community. We're sitting in rows today, but man, we got like 15 different groups, life groups meeting all throughout the area. Some of them are intense Bible studies. Some of them are more like they play sports together. You just, what you need is you need to be in a circle with other believers who know you by name, who care about you, that you can say, hey, will you pray for me? Or hey, I'm gonna pray for you. That, that you can be there for each other. We all need that. And, and that, that doesn't happen in a crowd. You need, you need some people in your life. Don't climb alone. All right, let me keep going. So Paul gave me this quote. Got this from him. It says, this is from Henry Waldsworth Longfellow. The distant mountains that uprear their solid bastions to the sky, they're crossed by pathways that appear as we to higher levels rise. The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. How do you climb a mountain? How do you climb a mountain? one step at a time. You work at it. And a lot of Christians, you're going to look around and you're going to see them. They're, they're, they're kind of sleeping at it. They're, they're not really working at it. They're not really training to be godly. They're just kind of coasting. Listen, if you want the inner utopia, if you want to be at your peak, if you want to experience God's presence in your life like never before, you got to train. you got to work at it. And how do you do that? How do you summit a mountain? You, you, you summit it one step at a time. Through the night sometimes. Through the trials. Through the temptations. You keep working at it. You keep keep training on it. You keep worshiping. You keep praying. You keep getting into God's word. You immerse yourself in his in community, in the church, and you say, God, I want to be about the things you're about because I want to be godly. I want that inner utopia. This uh, Sir Edmund Hillary said this, and I'll end with this. He said, it's not the mountains that we conquer. Some people are so focus on conquering some mountain in their life or in their world that they're trying to conquer. He says, it's not the mountain that we conquer, but ourselves. From the first guy who conquered Mount Everest, he says, it's not about the mountain. You might have some goal in your life right now that you're really working hard at. And, and great, if it's a good goal, then, then keep going. But it, that's not really where the real victory is going to come in your life. The, the real victory is when you conquer in here and the, the, in, the inner you. When, when you win there, then you can go win out in the world and you'll see, it's, you'll see it from a whole different perspective. So focus on that inner battle, that inner mountain that you're trying to climb. Work at that, train at that, and see God do more in your life and in your spirit. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today. You have the power of all
you washed our feet, though you were right to rule, became servant king, became servant king, in love you came here, laying down your Invited to your kingdom, living in your freedom. In love you came here. 